Hey, welcome everybody. It's time once again for another edition of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Brought to you by the good folks at West Virginia University's Marketing Communications Online Graduate Programs. One show where we explore unique Marcom strategies that will help you inform, persuade, and inspire your audience with the people who always do that every week here. Never fail to inspire me, Cindy Greenglass. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled to have as our guest today, another Mountaineer and alumna of the West Virginia University IMC program, Leandra Clovis. And she has nearly a decade of experience working with national nonprofit organizations and is currently Senior Director of Walked and Alzheimer's for the Alzheimer's Association of Central and North Florida. In her current role, she manages the development and implementation of the Central and North Florida Florida chapters, peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns, and that includes providing strategic leadership for the team. She manages the overall plan to achieve revenue goals, developing communication plans, and creating best practices and coaching her staff. In addition, prior to joining her current association, Leandra worked on peer-to-peer fundraising for the American Cancer Society. And earlier in her career, she launched the first Walk for Wishes for the Makeup wish. We are fortunate to have Leandra joining us from beautiful Florida, where she lives with her husband and one-year-old daughter, just outside of the happiest place on earth, Walt Disney World. So Leandra, welcome to our podcast this week. Thank you, Cindy. I am so happy to be here. It's actually a beautiful Florida day today. It's only going to hit right in the low 80s. So it's a beautiful day, and I'm really happy to be here and to talk to you about all of the really great peer-to-peer fundraising that we are doing. Well, I'm here in Chicago. That's the wonderful thing about our podcast. We have alumni all over the world, really. And every time we get together on one of these shows, we get to meet alumni who have moved and made a difference wherever they go. And and so thank you for joining us. I'm personally honored because I think your cause is so incredibly special and meaningful to so many of us. And we thank you for the work that you are doing to end this disease and to work with so many of those uh, both afflicted and their families. I wanted to ask you, since this is a relatively new term or could be a new term for some of our listeners, can you define for us what is peer-to-peer fundraising? Yes. So peer-to-peer fundraising is a really specific area of fundraising that really encompasses all of the different events where our donors are asking their peers to donate to them. So we raise funds through the money that our constituents are asking others to give to the cause. So that covers all of your walk events, your bike events, your marathons, any kind of event where someone is signing up and then they are soliciting donations to support them in their endeavor to do whatever that specific event may be. So thus the peer-to-peer, because it's really those constituents asking their donors for the money. So it's 
a different type of fundraising than direct marketing or major gifts where the development professional is soliciting those large donations themselves. Our money really comes from our individual walkers reaching out to their friends, their families, their employers, hosting unique fundraising events themselves and raising those dollars. And really the main source of money that we solicit would be sponsorships. So staff are getting like those larger sponsorships for events. But the bulk of the money for peer-to-peer events are coming from those one-to-one donations from the actual walkers or bikers or whatever it may be. That makes perfect sense. I'm sure that many of us have either walked or participated in an event like that on behalf of a friend, a family member, or someone that we feel strongly about for a cause that we support. And and, and that makes perfect sense. We are in a very unique time in 2020 with the COVID having put so many of our in-person events on hold. And I would like to ask your opinion on how has the last eight months months and now going into the remainder of the year impacted you for your peer-to-peer events and what are your plans to still be able to raise such important funds in peer-to-peer fundraising when we're not walking or running or biking? Yes. So I think that peer-to-peer events were really hit hard by COVID for two reasons. One, because in-person events couldn't actually take place in their traditional format in 2020. We had to really rethink what those could even look like. And then as I was describing before, our donations are really coming from our walkers soliciting them. So it's not just major gifts or a direct marketing where we're making that appeal to the donors as to why they should give to the organization or why it's so important. We have to put together that plan, translate it to our walkers so that they can then communicate it out to their donors. And so we need to connect convince an entirely separate group that our research is still important and that our funds are still critical. And we need them to then say that to their donors to keep raising money. So I think when it comes to 2020 and COVID-19, our peer-to-peer events were in a very unique place and they were hit especially hard just because they had to look so very different. And so most events did make some sort of shift nationwide. I know that we did with our Walk to End Alzheimer's events. We had a campaign, basically we walked everywhere. So walk was everywhere on every sidewalk, in every park, in every community, in every street across the country. And we made that decision relatively early in 2020. And we were able to shift our websites, shift all of our messaging to include these really great videos of people walking just with their friends and families and small groups. And none of those traditional photos that you see from a typical peer-to-peer walk, you know, the thousands of people all clustered together at a start line. So we shifted all of the marketing to really show what walk was going to look like in 2020, that it was going to be you and your family, but that it was still going to be really great and uplifting. And we made our walks everywhere. We redid the website so that they had a really heavy virtual component where people could still log in for their opening ceremony. So we still had local live opening ceremonies with our volunteer committees and local MCs and shouted out our sponsors and our top fundraisers. And so people could log on and watch that and then go outside, walk in their community with a completely upgraded 
mobile app where they were hearing motivational messages as they walked. They were tracking their steps. There was a leaderboard. And so although people were walking alone, we redid all of our marketing and all of our virtual tools to really create this experience of being together, even though you weren't together. So it looked nothing like our walks have ever looked before. We have never not been in a park altogether, but we really put pieces with the opening ceremony with the upgraded mobile app. And then we have what is called a promise garden ceremony. And that's the most impactful mission moment of our walks where everyone who comes gets a different color flower. There are four different flowers and they represent one's personal relationship with Alzheimer's and all of their dementia. So an orange flower means that you support the cause. A purple flower means that you have lost someone. A yellow flower means that you are a current caregiver. And a blue flower means that you are living with some sort of dementia at this time. And we give everyone a flower and we do this ceremony where you hold up your flower whenever that one is defined. And we still have that. We had people come to our opening ceremonies to represent each flower. And then we planted physical promise gardens in every community where we had a walk this year and people could come to a drive-by experience. And so every community had thousands of flowers or hundreds of flowers, depending on how many they put out and all of their sponsor signs. And on that day, walkers could go and drive by and see a flower that represented all the people in the community who were walking on that day, all put together. Peer-to-peer events across the country and for every organization shifted drastically. You know, walk in Alzheimer's did not look like what it looked like last year. Strides against breast cancer looked nothing like that. I think they did strides your way. Our relay for life with the American Cancer Society, everything was completely reimagined for this year. But there were some really unique experiences that came out of that. So share with us, if you can, how was this received by your traditional audience, by the donors who are used to being in groups of people? Tell us the result of all this hard work and very creative way to, you know, really pivot. Quite honestly, it's been received differently by every walker, I would say, much like the pandemic, I think, has in general. You know, a lot of where we live in the country or our personal, you know, feelings and beliefs, there's just a lot that goes into how we're dealing with 2020. And so the majority of our walkers were overwhelmingly supportive of the fact that we did not have an in-person walk. We definitely had some people who, you know, they missed the experience, but they understood why we weren't able to do that. So as far as I know, I didn't have any constituents that were coming to me still saying, you know, in October that we should be having walks. They were all very understanding. I think a lot of people definitely miss the collection and being around their peers. However, we had a lot of people go drive through that promise garden. And we had a lot of people in our post-event surveys that we do really commend us on being able to pivot so quickly in 2020 and having such unique things like the drive-by promise garden. We mailed a set of walk flags to every walker just so they could hold something as they walked. It was like little yard flags. And it was also a form of marketing because a lot of our walkers decorated their homes with them leading up to walk. And so we did a lot of creative pieces that I think our walkers appreciate overall. 
It sounds almost, Leandra, like you got more tail to this campaign, usually an event and after you celebrate and everybody goes home and the participants will post it on social media, but it has a very short life cycle as everybody moves on to something else that's new in their life. This sounds like you created a lot of longevity to it with the flowers, with the flags. Did you find that people engaged with you longer and further and maybe was the donation cycle even improved because of it? I think so. That's actually something I was looking at very recently. We had less walkers overall, just in general. However, something that I have noticed, at least with the walks that I manage, is with many of our walks, we had better fundraising percentages. So we had less $0 walkers, you know, those folks that sign up day of, or they don't actually really engage. So we had a higher percentage of fundraisers that were actually raising money, although we had less. So, and some of our teams weren't able to do what they have done in the past, which is completely understandable. We would expect that. But I have seen where our whole donor life cycle has really kind of expanded and we were able to thank donors better than we ever have been in the past. Since we weren't actually at a walk, we called every walker on walk day for each of our walks and just said, thank you. That was it. There was no ask. There was nothing additional. It was just a touch point to say, hope you're having a really great walk day send us your photos. We would love to see them. And those were really well received. People loved getting that little extra customer service touch point of just saying thank you and wanting to see their photos. I know my phone for the calls I made, they were texting them back to me. Here are those photos you wanted to see, just really happy to engage. And so we've been seeing that overall engagement has been much stronger this year. We know our walkers even better than we ever have. And I was recently pulling numbers from now until the end of the year in our post-event giving. And my projections are actually higher for what I'm expecting to come in post-walk this year versus what we brought in last year. Right. Hold Mm -hmm. that thought because we're going to take a quick short break. And when we come back, I'd like to pick up on that, Leandra, and have you share with us what that means to you when you say results coming in higher than last year. So hold on to that thought and we'll be back at you in a couple of seconds. Okay, well, this will give you long enough just to pause and digest some of the mind-blowing stuff we're talking about here today. But there's a place you can learn more of these kinds of cutting-edge concepts. It's West Virginia University's online data marketing communications program, first graduate program of its kind in the country, focusing on strategic thinking, problem-solving, and informed decision-making. We're trying to do here today, get some informed decision-making data. The Data Marketing Communications Program prepares you for a career in all these exciting new fields by learning the innovative tactics from award-winning faculty like those presented here each and every week. You can learn more, dmc.wvu for West Virginia University, dot edu, dmc.wvu, dot edu. We are back with Leandra Clovis talking about the success of her virtual walks. And right before our break, you were sharing with us that your post-walk experience has put you ahead of where you thought you would be. Can you share some more information on that with us? 
Yeah. So our overall income, we're going to be down year over year for walks in general. However, the specific amount that's coming in post-walk, based on the projections that I have, our walks happen September, October, and November. I actually just had my last one this past week. <laughs> and so we are done. And the amount that we're projected to bring in in November and December is actually higher than what we brought in in November and December specifically of last year. And so I am was actually a little surprised. <laughs> I, I'm almost nervous with those projections, but it's really reassuring. Like you said, I think that people aren't seeing that walk day as the end all you know, that the season is over. Instead, that's just the day that they walked. They got out with their community, but they're really still fundraising and whatever they had planned, maybe they spaced it out a little more because they were afraid to, you know, bombard their donors all at once. But we still have a lot of big events that are happening that our volunteers are putting on and a lot of pretty substantial donations that we're expecting in November and December. That's really interesting. I was under the impression, and obviously incorrectly, so I'd like to explore this a little bit more with you, that with the current health crisis and with COVID, that donors may be, first of all, they may have more limited funds. So many people have to conserve more of their money, you know, under these current circumstances, maybe giving less was a thought. And the other thought I had is, gee, we've got hurricanes, we've got all sorts of health crises. Would that detract from donors' tendency to give to equally important, meaningful causes and, and concentrating their giving on more health-related? That does not seem to be the case. So that's still the case for us because, like I said, overall for our season, we're projecting to bring in about 60% of what our original goal was. So we're down overall. It's just that all of that money didn't come in this year prior to walk. Whereas usually like once walk day comes and goes, we don't see a lot trickle in after that. But this year, we're still expecting a pretty decent amount to trickle in after our walks. And I just found that very interesting. But overall, we're probably expecting about 60% of our original gold revenue. So we'll be down, I think at the moment, as of today, my chapter is down about 35% year over year from what we did, which is still, all things considered, not a terrible amount to be down, especially when you do look at with peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. Again, our constituents are the ones who are soliciting those donations. So we have to convince them that it's an appropriate time. And here's the reason why. We did have some hurricane issues and all of that fun stuff that tax on top of COVID-19. But as I mentioned, we're down walkers. More of them seem to be raising money. And actually, a few of our events did have higher averages per walker even this year. So we just had less people that were able to sign up. When we first went remote, we called every single walker in probably March, April, and asked them how they're doing. And if we had walkers who through our touch base calls have told us that they just cannot participate in 2020, that they've gotten laid off, as you can imagine, especially in Florida and tourism and all of that, we've had a lot of committee members who had to step away or walkers who had to step away due to things like that. And so we really kind of left alone 
any walker who told us this wasn't a good year for them. If this wasn't a good year, then we opted them out of our text messages and our emails for this year. We gave them that break. We very respectfully were like, that's fine. And we removed them from our marketing and things like that. So we really focused on the walkers and the constituents who were saying, I still want to help. We made calls. We identified who was still in for 2020. And then we focused hard on that coaching and relationship building with those specific walkers. So again, we may have had less of them this year. Some of them raised more than they have. More of them raised money than typically do. And we just focused on that kind of core group. Did you find walkers who converted to individual donors said, it's not good for me this year to walk, but I'm going to write a check or I'm going to go online and donate? Yes, we did see some walkers who would say, you know, normally I send an email soliciting my friends and family and I'm not going to do that. We actually had our biggest example of that was not with our walk to end Alzheimer's, but our secondary peer to peer program, The Longest Day. And that's basically a collection of third party fundraising. And we had a large donor who was planning to do the Ironman. And he was raising funds and soliciting when all of this hit. And he actually stopped because his main fundraising was happening in that March to June timeframe, which as you know, was a very bad time to be fundraising. And he said, I'm not going to be asking people, but between him and two or three of his very close, you know, I think it was actually his family. They said, we're still going to raise what our goal was, but we're not going to ask others for that money. Makes sense. So this is a unique year. We're all learning some interesting new skills, trying new things in all of our businesses, both for-profit and non-profits. And some of the takeaways we've had in conversations on other podcasts with in-person events have been very interesting about how virtual will be a way of life moving forward in some form or fashion with the synchronous and asynchronous component. What lessons have you and your team learned through this experience that you think will pervade and stay when we come out next year and things are going to get back to a, a different but new normal? What have you learned that you think you'll still do? I really think the amount of thanking and that relationship building that we have put into 2020 is something that is going to stay with me and my team for a long time. We really have spent a lot of time cultivating our teams and developing relationships with our top teams and walkers on a level that we've never been able to have before because we're out driving to meetings or we're out actually hosting events or popping into events. And that face-to-face interaction has definitely been missed. You know, we focus heavily on you can't do this job behind a desk. And so in 2020, that has been a complete 180 where we've had to do this job from behind a desk because we as an organization haven't been doing in-person meetings, even masked. We've been doing everything virtually through Zoom and phone calls. And so we had to completely pivot. And we found that it allowed us, whereas before we had to like maybe really focus on that top 10% of teams. So you only had so much time in the day. So your top 10% of your teams were getting an experience that was much more personalized, more in-depth than the rest of them. Whereas this year, we really have been able to give that same customer service probably to our top 30, 40%, just because we're not out traveling. We're not driving. We're not getting gas. We're not doing all of these things. And so 
dope. We can do handwritten cards and personal thank you and happy birthday and social media posts and things like that for more constituents. And I think trying to figure out how to either utilize volunteers or to schedule our days in the future to be able to broaden who is getting that top rate just from like our top 30 teams you know, down the list is going to be vitally important because we've seen where some of those teams who maybe aren't, you know, in that very, very, very top are raising substantial amounts of money this year. And that little bit of coaching has gone a long way. Interesting. So Leandra, it sounds like the way we look at it in nonprofit, one of the metrics that we use is cost to raise a dollar as well as cost per new donor. So in this case, we've been talking about a dollars raised. So when you look at it, while it may have cost you more money and you have new things that you're doing that are more costly, making phone calls, handwritten notes, sending out the flags, doing the flowers would increase your costs. When you do your analytics, your cost to raise a dollar sounds like either has stayed steady or maybe even gone down. I think it's gone down a bit. Our fiscal year that ended in June, we actually ended up okay with last fiscal year, although our donations were off from that March to June timeframe because our expenses were also just as far off. We were using no mileage. We were using no gas, anything like that. And it definitely will have gone down in the fall because walks and events like that, there are costs. There's rentals and there's substantial costs involved with that. So even though we still do our t-shirts for people who raise $100 and we're direct shipping those to people, so it's completely contactless. So there are some things where for it to be safe and for it to be a good experience for donors, they have cost more. I still think we're going to come out having a stronger expense ratio this year, just all things considered. Well, I hope so, because the cause is so valuable and you're making such a big difference in the lives of so many people. And thank you so much for all that your organization does. Many of us who are listening may be looking at the nonprofit community and thinking, gee, maybe I'd like to work for a nonprofit. If we had some listeners who were thinking about making it either their first career in nonprofit or maybe transitioning from for-profit to nonprofit, what are some thoughts that you have that we could leave our listeners with as we wrap our program? Yes, I wanted to make a career in nonprofit when I got an internship when I was doing my undergrad for Make-A-Wish. And so I jumped into nonprofit immediately. I was going to school to be an education major, an English major, and I can't imagine doing anything other than what I do right now. Honestly, it's a really great field to get into. But I think the thing that sticks with me, especially for people thinking of transitioning, is I have seen people who have transitioned before thinking it's going to be easier. They think working for a chair, oh, this will just be so fun. It's, you know, I'm doing, I'm raising money for a good cause or I'm working for a nonprofit. And it's very much, you know, the same as working in a for-profit field. We have goals, we have metrics, just like anyone else. And although the mission is great, it can be really, really hard work. And so I would definitely encourage people to really look into the nonprofit that they were thinking about getting into and not just making that jump thinking, oh, it's just going to be out doing charity and it's just going to be so fun all the time because it can definitely, it can be difficult. And depending on what kind of nonprofit you're working for, sometimes the different missions can be very emotional. 
as well. You know, we get to meet with a lot of constituents who utilize our services, which is so great to be able to see what we're raising money for firsthand, but it can be an emotional career path as well. But I absolutely love it and think that everyone should want to work for nonprofits. (laughs) Well, Leandra, if any of our listeners have been motivated to participate in a peer-to-peer event as a result of our conversation today, how can they get in touch with you and learn more about the great work that you're doing for the Alzheimer's Association and your peer-to-peer fundraising? Yes, that would be wonderful. Most peer-to-peer events are volunteer and committee led. And so we always are looking for anyone that might be interested, especially with the walk to end Alzheimer's. You can contact me even if you're not in the state of Florida, which I know many of our listeners are all over the country. So no matter where you are, if you're interested in learning more about the walk to end Alzheimer's or peer-to-peer fundraising in general, you can always reach me at llclovis at alz.org. I am happy to talk with anyone about our events or peer-to-peer fundraising in Well, thank you again, Leandra, for your time. Thank you for the great work you're doing to make a difference in the lives of so many. And on that note, I will turn it back to our great moderator and wish everybody a wonderful end of the day. Thank you. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network, for at-work listeners like you.